0: Columbia looks like this is what Columbia looks like.
1: The best place for Columbia College News. I'll give my life for this cause and I will die for this cause. Covering the stories Chicagoans care about.
0: We are calling for one Chicago! Shut down, make
1: sure this is Chronicle Headlines. Welcome back from break, and welcome back to another episode of Chronicle Headlines. I am your host, Blaze Mesa, with you as always. On today's program, we will be talking about a feature on hair, a lawsuit filed by Chicago against tobacco and e-cigarette companies, and potential changes to Title IX. But first, October 24th, the Chronicle reported that President and CEO Quang Wu Kim's contract was extended until 2024. At the time, Kim's contract was not set to expire until 2020. Board of Trustees Chairman Bill Wolf said the decision to renew Kim's contract was in part due to the need for a new senior vice president and provost. Wolf said the provost would need to become familiar with the leadership at the college. Stan Wearden is leaving, and we're in the market now to hire a new provost. We said we'd really need to have our president, Dr. Kim, on board for some period of time that would be Uh, long enough that the provost who comes here uh, is going to be comfortable that he or she is not going to have a change in presidents. Kim said he was excited by the contract extension and is happy the board of trustees have faith in him to run the college.
2: The advantage of having this long time frame ahead of me now is that I, I can keep thinking longer term without worrying about an interruption.
1: Kim's contract came a couple days after an October 17th CFAC rally calling for his removal. Adjunct professor in the Humanities, History, and Social Sciences Department and CFAC's Director of Diversity, Prexy Nesbitt, declined to comment on Kim's contract extension. Moving on to McDonald's corporate headquarters in Chicago, where demonstrators rallied outside the location November 14th in protests of McDonald's buying meat from Tyson and Cargill which protesters alleged are some of the worst polluters of the environment.
2: We cannot continue to accept the polluting practices of the media To me, all of this is a fundamental question about what world I want to come of age in as a young person and what world all of us want to be able to pass on to the next generation.
1: That was Phoebe Chatfeld, a field organizer for Mighty Earth Chicago, the group that helped organize the rally. Protesters were able to get around 1,800 signatures on a petition demanding McDonald's boycott Tyson and Cargill until the companies take steps to end deforestation and pollution. Protesters at the event were a mix of 50 local businesses, including restaurant owners. A November 15 statement from Tyson to the Chronicle read, We are making progress. We are committed to leading industrial efforts to collaborate with farmers on environmentally responsible crop product. The statement also said Tyson committed to support improved environmental practices on 2 million acres of land by 2020. Ray Dubozinski, an assistant professor of ecology at the Institute of Environmental Sustainability at Loyola University, urged McDonald's at the rally to change for the betterment of the environment. He said McDonald's practices are unsustainable and will have to change sooner or later. By definition, something that is unsustainable, like McDonald's industrial food system, won't be sustained. Um, It will come to an end. That's just what it means to be unsustainable. Um, So sooner or later, by design or by catastrophe, McDonald's food system will become sustainable. It's inevitable. McDonald's, do the right thing and make it sustainable now to avoid catastrophe. Our third story follows months of campaigning by the new governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, Pretzker said legalizing weed could help reform the criminal justice system, reduce opioid overdoses, and bring in approximately $700 billion dollars in revenue. If weed were to be legalized in Illinois recreationally, Pretzker never said exactly what the revenue would go toward funding. But 88% of Cook County voters said on their ballots the money should be used to help funding Chicago Public Schools and mental health services. Cicero, Illinois resident Liz Velagran went to J. Sterling Morton East High School and transferred to Friedrich von Steuben Metropolitan Science Center her senior year. While at Sterling Morton East, she says the student-to-teacher ratio was low due to a lack of funding.
0: I am totally behind the medical marijuana Movement and dispensaries. You know they're going to start popping up, so I'm I I feel like they're going to tax on it anyway. So they might as
1: well put that to good use. Revis Elementary Math and Science Specialty School Teacher Keisha Parker said she has a limited amount of supplies allotted for each student because of funding. I'm I'm for anything that would help the public school. So I mean I'm I'm not in agreement with marijuana. Being illegalized, but I'm in agreement with um, anything to help public schools. Um, and if they are going to
2: use the money
1: wisely. At this time, there is no pending legislation to legalize recreational marijuana in Illinois. Pritzker will take office sometime around the start of the new year. Switching gears now, we have a feature on hairstyles and how that can be more than just a fashion statement. My hair
2: actually caught me as clear before
0: I knew how I was. <laughs>
3: all the time when I'm walking down the street and somebody has like a non-traditional haircut for what their gender presentation is and like we do the like the head nod like hey I see you uh-huh. it's just like a way of being visible to
1: other people in the community I think I'd like to welcome Aiden Miranda Manier to the studio who uh, we just heard that little soundbite from was a Jackie Young a, a barber at or a hairstylist barber however you want to say it at Barb Barbara and Barbara? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Okay. So she was talking a little bit about I mean a little bit about everything, I guess. So, what's your feature about and what is the connection between hairstyles and, you know, identity?
2: Yeah. So, uh my feature was about the relationship that queer people have with their hair. Um, and I was able to speak to a lot of queer people as well as um, some professionals and I was able to hear a little bit about how they express themselves through their hair and how people who are not in the queer community look at those expressions through their hair um, and how we can p- kind of find a peace between the two communities
1: yeah, you were able you were even able to get in contact with kim fountain if i'm yes, saying that yeah. correctly the ceo of center on halstead that's correct Who talked about how these hairstyles are you know pushing social norms a bit as you just mentioned yeah she one time lived in vermont and there was only one person who would cut her hair <laughs> yes. at the local barber shop and if that person wasn't there
2: she's out of luck no yeah. haircut today. Yeah, it was really, it was an interesting story. Um, She lived in a small town in Vermont, and she wears her hair very short and kind of like a masculine style. Mm -hmm. And she said that that there was, she went to this barbershop, and there was only one female hairstylist who agreed to do her hair.
1: It was a pretty bad experience, yeah. yeah, I I guess that's uh, certain parts of the country for you. But she was even able to mention a, a little bit more about your topic. So let's take a listen to that.
0: There's certain scripts that we sort of go through in the world that make it easy for us to kind of navigate it. Right. And so you don't walk into a fast food restaurant and sit down expect
2: table service. right? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of this culture,
1: US sort of heteronormative gender culture, women have longer hair. Right. And so it's just easy to not have to think about it as you're scanning a crowd or meeting somebody new or whatever it is. Again, that was Kim Fountain, CEO of Center on Halstead, but how many people gave you kind of a weird look when you were like, hey, I want to talk about hairstyles and how it, you know, touches on your identity. Did you get that? Were people understanding of your topic or what so, was it like?
2: I mean, it was it was kind of a tricky thing for me because, I mean, I I am queer. And so it it was like I wanted to be able to approach it from within the community, but I also needed to have a journalistic objectivity to it. And I, I felt a little strange about, say, like, scanning a crowd for someone with a haircut that I assume, as a queer person, is queer, mm-hmm. but not wanting to approach them and, and be wrong or have them say, like, oh, you're a journalist. This is, like, strange or inappropriate for you to do. Um, and
1: it's, kind of, it's a weird topic to just approach someone on, too. Yeah, it is. You're not asking, like, hey, how's your day going? It's like, you ready for some heavy-hitting stuff? Friend? Yeah. And-
2: it- <coughs> Excuse me it can be kind of personal. Um, And several of the people who I was able to speak to, it it was kind of a personal journey for them. Uh, I I spoke to um, one person who uh, is losing their hair, but uh, they are a woman. Um, They identify as a woman. And so they've kind of had to learn how to reconcile having a non-traditional hairstyle while still presenting femininely um... and I, I, it was really it was it was nice that they opened up to me i appreciated it a lot
1: so did everyone you talked to have a hairstyle that didn't necessarily conform like maybe someone who identifies as a female with shorter hair or was it everyone kind of in that group
2: no actually i um... i was able to speak to a woman who has longer hair Um and she had a really unique perspective that I actually, it, it resonated with me personally. Um, she said that she kind of faces backlash within the queer community rather than outside of it because she encounters a lot of people who think that because she doesn't have a shorter, quote unquote, butcher hairstyle, um She's not queer enough. They they maybe like challenged her gay card.
1: So hers is like a, a more typical thought of hairstyle for yes, female. yeah, okay. a more traditional
2: hairstyle, which makes her stand out in a in a queer crowd. Whereas a more quote unquote queer hairstyle might make someone stand out in a straight crowd.
1: Well, how did she mention or talk about it all? How she may navigate that that field? She
2: said it's it's tricky. Um, she really had a plea that queer people kind of be a little bit more accepting within their own community. If someone shows up in a queer space, maybe welcome them with open arms rather than challenge them. Um, But she, she said that, I mean, when she goes into spaces and other women act strange if she tries to flirt with them because they think that maybe she's just quote unquote going through a phase or they they take it as a challenge to turn her fully gay. Like it's she said it can be really tricky, which is very unfortunate.
1: Yeah. So for someone who may not they may think, well hair is hair. Mm-hmm. You know, this feature kinda says, well
2: it's not, not quite just
1: hair. I mean yeah. technically speaking, yes, hair is hair. It's how it works, but there's a lot more behind it. And I know we don't have too much more time here, but I do wanna know how did you come up with the idea for this feature? Well, mm-hmm. This is not a topic touched on too much. So yeah. I've never really thought about hair in this way. So what kind of got the gears spinning in your head? So
2: uh, like I mentioned, I, I am queer. And um, I for those of you listening, you may not know this, but Blaze, you know I've always had long, curly red hair. So it's when you see me, I look very feminine. Um, but I I don't necessarily feel that that represents my identity the way that I want it to and I've always struggled with that, that my hair doesn't really reflect how I feel. And I started wondering if that's an experience that a lot of other queer people have and it turns out it is. Um, And I think it's really important to acknowledge that we can express ourselves in ways that go against norms and traditions through something as taken for granted as our hair it's really interesting to note that um, this is something that queer people have been doing for a very long time styling their hair in non-traditional ways and coloring it in really radical ways um, and I think that's it. part of it is a way to express yourself and express your identity but I also think it's, it's partly a way to um, communicate within the queer community it's a way to code yourself as queer to other queer people um, and it's also a way to kind of push the boundaries of what we think of as traditionally masculine and traditionally feminine. They don't need to have such simple definitions and and they don't need to fit within very strict boundaries.
1: I know we talked about it a bit earlier when um, Kim Fountain only had the one barber in mm-hmm. Vermont. Or not all of Vermont I guess, but her hometown who would cut her hair. You kinda touched on barbershops and all that stuff and mm-hmm. this has been or this changing of hairstyle has been going on for a little bit longer. But how do barbershops take it, if that makes any sense yeah, to you? Yeah,
2: no, it does. It's it's kind of a tricky thing, actually, um, because uh, several of the people I spoke to and in my research, I encountered the fact that a lot of barbershops and hair salons still gender their pricing. Um, so uh, on a website, it may say a men's hairstyle is like sixty dollars or traditionally much less than that like 20 I or 30 dollars this
1: weekend it was like 20 bucks yeah and that's like right? the more the buzz cut maybe they'll go in with some scissors
2: exactly whereas a, a woman's hairstyle would cost 60 to 100 dollars
1: and i have no idea what happens in those right
2: exactly so it it's a really difficult thing for say a queer woman to go into a barber shop and say i want to get my hair cut and first of all they might be uncomfortable about doing that they might say no and they might not know how to charge it because even if they want what is known as a men's hairstyle they might say well this is this is a woman and i i don't feel comfortable charging her the men's hairstyle price so it's it's really it's a tricky thing and uh jackie young who you mentioned is really she's pushing for uh barbershops and hair salons to kind of do away with gendering of pricing because it can be really damaging
1: yeah that's a topic i've never really thought of i go there i get my haircut i leave right but uh, luckily for us your stories in the center f- or centerfold of the newspaper It's clocking at around 1500 1700 words yeah around there yeah I think so. so uh if you want more content you can go pick up any one of the newspapers around the uh, the campus or you can go to com again it is in the center spread um also
2: quick note if you manage to snag a physical copy of the chronicle um feel free to color in the graphic it's supposed to be interactive and customizable oh yeah, to encourage right. you to express yourselves as well um and then uh, post a picture on instagram and and tag the chronicle in it so tag we can see your lovely
1: hashtag work. social media engagement yeah that's how we do it here <laughs> miranda unfortunately we are out of time so uh, it's been great talking to you hope to have you soon thanks please while Miranda leaves the studio, I'd like to welcome in Jermaine Nolan, who was covering a lawsuit by the city of Chicago against big tobacco and e-cigarette companies. The lawsuit alleges that uh, eight companies were selling their products to minors. Jermaine, I'm going to throw it to you. Why was Chicago pursuing this lawsuit?
0: Um, so through the city of Chicago and Mayor Rahm Emanuel, they're trying to um, beef up the fight against big tobacco and targeting younger people and younger minors. Um, so what it seems like is they've already beat um, actual cigarettes and, like, tobacco products, but now the e-cigarettes and the vaping is is posing a new, like...
1: So when you say beat, it's like they're not really smoking cigarettes now. It's more they're all, like, vaping with... I, I know nothing really about vaping, right. but they're all in that kind of arena.
0: Right. So uh, the press release and the... Um, the press conference that I that I watched while I was researching my story said that I can I don't want to quote the exact numbers, but it's a lower number of teenagers and minors that are actually smoking hard yeah. cigarettes mm-hmm. and like tobacco products, chewing tobacco. But now the fight is against like vaping and flavored vape oils.
1: Yeah. I think even the Department of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection they launched a sting operation, which I think is cited in the lawsuit, mm-hmm. where they gave a minor a visa card, yep. and they had him out of. I think they did forty stores. Yeah. They so
0: online and in person. So there are forty online distributors and retailers of vape oils and e-cigarette products, and so they targeted all forty of them, and of the forty eight. Um, did not do background or age checks or uh, verify the address that they were sending the products to. And they processed the funds, um, processed the order, I'm sorry, and then they sent out the vape oils and stuff to the miners.
1: Didn't they send the stuff to, like, the Department of Business Affairs? Like, they sent it to some government building that it's like... If you
0: would have looked at that for
1: two seconds, you'd have been like, wait a second. And
0: that goes to say how reckless it is. You know what I mean? Like, these people... Maybe it's just like a, a automatic service or automatic. Um, I'm assuming system. it's probably.
1: I'm assuming no human probably saw the address. Yeah, for sure. For yeah, sure. I kind of hope they would sit there and think about it for a second. But we talked about. Marketing and all that stuff, and that's kind of what this lawsuit is all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we even had, you talked to a couple of people who smoke, don't smoke, or vape, I mean, in kind of a different variety of ways and right. how they're using it. Right. Are any? I know the long thought of response is, well, I'm using it to quit. Yeah. Is that true in any of the people you talk to?
0: Um, so I spoke to one guy who used to smoke cigarettes, and now he's using vape and e-cigarettes as a way to wean himself off of nicotine and not be, not have that craving anymore. But even he said in high school, you know, he got into it because of the flavors.
1: Yeah, I think you spoke with uh, cinema art and science major Chelsea Gill, who said she was smoking uh, occasionally, every now and again since high school.
2: I think that's definitely targeted towards the younger audience as, like, cigarettes don't carry flavors. So the vaporizers, like offer, like, fun-sounding alternatives to make it sound like you're not really smoking a cigarette.
1: Again, that was Chelsea Gill, and I think Mayor Emanuel kind of said something to the same tune. Yes. Where it was something about, like, you know, they're called Fruit Loops or Jolly Ranchers or whatever, Mm -hmm. and he's like, come on. Yeah. You're not not using that to quit. You're kind of marketing towards the younger crowd, and then, of course, eight of the companies getting caught solding e-cigarettes to the the younger people, mm-hmm. so to speak, to to minors, but um, is there? I mean, cause that thought is kind of challenged. so How many people did you spoke speak to that uh, used e-cigarettes?
0: So I spoke to three that use e-cigarettes, and of the three, um, one said that they use it to stop smoking, um, and then one said that they could see how that's a possibility. But it's weird that they're flavored, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so the guy that I spoke to that said he does use it to stop smoking, he said if he does flavor it, it would be mint or anything like menthol because that's what he was used to smoking cigarettes. So it kind of gives him that sensation that he had before. So the, um, yeah,
1: so the, the long-held belief that, like, no, no, we're leading you off was kind of been challenged. Yeah. And the city was kind of seeing that. You also spoke with Junior Fashion biz, or. Junior fashion business and fashion journalism double major, couldn't can, well, I, how, I messed me up. On, right. yeah, yeah. I totally ruined her first name. But yeah. um, she mentioned that she, like, you asked her a question, like, you know, what attracts you about it? And she had a kind of answer, so we could take a listen to that. Yeah.
2: I wouldn't
3: say it's, like, super attractive, but the thing that drew me to it was honestly just the idea of smoking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, it just helped ease my mind a lot. So, Jermaine, did you get in contact with the city's office? They are the ones filing the lawsuit again against the eight retailers who were caught selling tobacco to minors. Were you able to speak with anyone from there?
0: Yeah, so I reached out multiple times. um, And I understand uh, they're kind of busy. But, yeah, so I got the press release and as well a link to the press conference held. Um, and it was really helpful, actually. And so, in the press conference, Mayor Rahm Emanuel made it seem as if this is just big tobacco taking a different form. Um, and he even says something along the line of, you know, we've all seen this movie before, we've seen this tactic before, um, and that the rhetoric before was that, hey, this is a new opportunity to stop smoking. When really, it's all about addiction. And starting people young and getting them addicted to their products so they're lifelong users.
1: Mm-hmm. That was what Emmanuel was saying. And we've been talking about the eight companies, mm-hmm. but are are these the tobacco companies, the e cigarette companies, the same? I mean, who are these? What do you know the company's um, names?
0: Yeah, give me one second. It's, you, it, it's some crazy names, though. It's like. e
1: cigarette flavors are super crazy. Yeah.
0: So I'm excited to hear these names. Yeah, it's like uh, Ma- Mod Fuel, e Liquid. Um, Internet Japan International Tobacco is just like uh, like early breakfast e cigarette company. You know what I mean? It's just okay. So it, just it is
1: literally like big tobacco. These aren't that much. Some of them have tobacco in the name, but they're not like two separate companies. Kind
0: of right. The I think the the big thing is that the products contain contain nicotine, and nicotine is addictive, and the younger that you start. Um, using nicotine, the more su- more likely you are to be addicted to it. Yeah,
1: I know. Even I've reported on the city cracking down on e-cigarettes in the past, so they're really trying to do a little bit of everything that they can. But Jermaine, we've got about thirty seconds here, so I, I think it's my time to send you off. Oh wow! Yeah. Went right. by fast. Yeah, it did. It's fun, crazy yeah. life on the radio business here. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for having me. Our final story on the podcast is changes to Title Nine, And to cover that, we have the Chronicles Editor-in-Chief, Ariana Portalatin. latin Ariana, so the coverage we see in print is from your editor's note, but other than your specific thoughts on the changes, what things have changed or, you know, what could be changing?
3: Yeah, so there's um, quite a few changes that Betsy DeVos um, has proposed in her... Uh, and the document um, for a few new rules that would change um, in the Title IX policies. So a few of those would be how sexual assault and harassment is defined, um, who mandatory reporters would be at colleges and universities, um, and even not even just higher education, just primary and secondary schools as well, but also what cases specifically schools would be required to investigate Mm -hmm. Um,
1: so when we say when we say Title Nine, that there's a certain office at Columbia and every college that handles these allegations on campus. Is that about a brief summary of what the office does? Any sexual allegation or sexual abuse, that? Yeah, anything like I mean, that?
3: Title Nine is basically preventing um, discrimination on the basis of sex, which sexual assault and harassment ties into. Okay. So yeah.
1: So then when we say changes. We talk about mandatory reporters. Uh, as it stands now, if I were to go to a professor or certain people on, co- on on the college and they heard me say that this or that happened, they would have to report it. And under these new proposed changes, they wouldn't have to. Is that kind of the one of yeah. the major switches?
3: Yeah. So, for example, um, I believe... All professors, um, at least at Columbia, I don't know about other schools, but I think all pro- all professors, excuse me, are required to report um, incidents incidences if they're made aware of them. Um, but now that could be changing, so it may just be just administrators or deans, which kind of uh, some people say might cause some problems because accusers are going to feel more comfortable reporting something to people they're very close to, which is typically a professor or a coach or someone like that, not mm-hmm. really deans or administrators that they don't spend too much time around. So this may result in less incidences being reported.
1: Just because the threshold is lower and then you have to go to more people, and I know the reporting count's already pretty low of how many cases do get mm-hmm. reported. Yeah. I think there were one or two other changes. We mentioned the threshold of who to report to, but uh, was that the major change, or were some other things that were being switched?
3: Um, I think another major one is just the definition of assault and harassment. Um, I think the way it is currently um, that was implemented under the Obama administration is anything that is unwanted, um, and I'm just like... Uh,
1: It's something, it's a pretty quick, punchy definition. It's pretty simple, like any unwanted sexual contact or anything like that. But so it's a little looser now. Is that what the change could bring?
3: Um, I don't know if looser is the right word. It's, I think it's more narrow. It's, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it's basically anything that's like severely pervasive or. um,
1: So it has to kind of do more harm to the person. Yeah, I think,
3: be- I think the key word is severe.
1: <laughs> okay, That's so,
3: the biggest difference.
1: But we keep saying propose. This may yeah. change this, that, and the other. So it's not official yet.
3: No. So all of this is just proposed right now. Um, so I, I think I think that they were first introduced um, and made available to the public on November 19th, I believe. And so now it's open to uh, 60 days for a public comment period, so um, between these 60 days, you know, the public is available to make any comments on it, um, ask questions about it, I believe, and I think uh, I think it's the Department of Education.
1: Um, any kind any of change probably should come from the Department of Education, and I think if you go on their website, you can find some sort of public comment right. period, but you can always yeah. Google it, like you actually can comment on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're talking directly to someone or how they look at everything right but, but there i think they a comment period
3: yeah and i think they're required to respond to it so yeah so nothing's set in stone just yet
1: okay and then so we have 60 days for the comment period that started recently so that should end right around the new year
3: probably i think so yeah
1: so what could happen after that is there a vote it has to go through to become official what when could we see these potential changes
3: um, I think we could see them as early as next year. I don't know how quickly this whole process would take for it to actually be approved and implemented, um, and I'm not sh- exactly sure how the process works after the 60-day public comment period, but I mean, I'm assuming that all of these changes, if they were um, approved and you know voted on to go forward, they, we could see them go into effect pretty quickly.
1: I know Congress starts back up, like the second or third day of January when all the new representatives get in, so I expect any sort of legislation, bill, act, or whatever will probably get going right around then. But, uh, Ariana, thank you for coming on today and uh, giving us the scoop on Title IX changes.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: And I'd like to thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus. On our website, columbiachronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CEC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of The Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground, under the leadership of the chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College, Chicago, Suzanne McBride. I've been your host, Blaise Mesa. Until next time.